Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from the pulpit of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. Come on, let's do that again to the Lord. Can we just clap our hands and thank Him for this house today, for the privilege that He's provided us to be here in Jesus' name. I have quite a lengthy reading this morning, so you can be seated. If you'll join me in the book of Genesis, chapter 32, we're going to continue this morning with our our lesson on grace-filled families, the genesis of grace-filled families. Aren't you thankful for the family unit? This is the first institution that God placed in the earth, and so I believe today that it is very important to God, and so if it is important to him, then we must make it important to us. Grace-filled families. Genesis 32, verse 17. We're going to read Genesis 32, 17 through 24. And the Bible says, And he commanded the foremost, saying, When Esau my brother meeteth thee and asketh thee, saying, Whose art thou, and whither thou goest? And whose are these before thee? Then thou shalt say, They be thy servant Jacob's. It is a present sent unto my Lord Esau, and behold, also he is behind us. And so commanded he the second and the third, and all that followed the droves, saying, And on this manner shall ye speak unto Esau when ye find him. And say ye moreover, Behold, thy servant Jacob is behind us, for he said, I will appease him with a present that goeth before me, and afterward I will see his face. Peradventure he will accept of me. So he went the present over before him and himself lodged that night in the company. And he rose up that night and took his two wives and his two women servants and his eleven sons, passed over the ford Jabbok. And he said to them and sent them over the brook and sent them, sent over that he had. And Jacob was left alone and there wrestled a man with him until the breaking of the day. And Jacob was left alone, and there wrestled a man with him until the breaking of the day. And so perhaps this title might not make a whole lot of sense now with what we've read, but we want to talk today about raising God-fearing children. Even though that we are less than perfect, even though we've come from families perhaps that were less than perfect, I'm thankful that God gives us grace that we can still raise God-fearing children. It's safe to say that most people, especially in our day and time, would probably despise Jacob. For the most part, people tend to shy away from schemers and deceivers. Most people, I know I, I can speak from my vantage point, most people don't like to be tricked. They don't like to have the 
the wool pulled over their eyes. I, I like to see what's coming. I don't like surprises. And so trickery and deception, I, I, don't, I don't tend to hang around people like that. At least I try not to. And so for the most part, people don't flock to those types of people. They don't spend their existence trying to find people out like that. But unfortunately, we are introduced to people in our lives that are like that and perhaps like Paul said such were some of us Jacob was a deceiver it was his nature to get what he wanted through the means of trickery and deception and so most people wouldn't be surprised if perhaps something bad happened to him most people wouldn't be surprised if something tragic happened in his life in fact some if not most would say he had it coming to him. He lived that way. That was the way he did his life. And so if something bad happened to him, some people might say he made his bed. And now he has to lie in it. Do you know who he was? Do you understand what he did in his life? He was a conniver. And so in this passage of scripture, that tragic thing, that bad thing that most would say he deserved is standing in front of him. That thing that most people would say should happen to him is exactly what is about to happen to him. His brother, from whom he stole a birthright, had vowed to take his life. He vowed, if I see him again, he will cease to exist. I'm going to take his life. And so when Jacob hears this, he fled. He ran. <laughs> It was his modus operandi. It was his M.O. It's the way he did his business. It's the way he lived his life. Deceive, connive, scheme, take what doesn't belong to you. But when the heat gets too hot and the room starts to feel uh, with heat, I'm going to flee. I'm going to split town and I'm going to run as fast as I can away from the problem. It's the way Jacob lived his life. It's the way he processed life. If I want it, it doesn't matter who has it. I'm going to take it from them. And if it takes deception to do it, well, then so be it. I am going to get what I want, and I don't care who I hurt along the way, even if it is my own family. And so this morning, let's just build the framework of what we are going to spend most of our time talking about today. The decisions that we make, the decisions that we are making right now will have absolutely long-lasting effects and consequences. The decisions that we are making at this moment, perhaps even in our own minds, will set the trajectory of what will come in our future. And sometimes those consequences have longer lasting effects than just the moment in which they were made. It's especially true when it comes to the decisions that will ultimately affect our families. Although we may not realize it at the time, although we may not understand it at the moment, our decisions can have far-reaching effects upon our children and their children. You see, sin is not always a one-generational occurrence. Sin 
is not always a one generational thing and sometimes conditions are birthed in which that action and that thing becomes normal for what has already occurred to continue to occur in subsequent generations. It is not uncommon to find children who imitate their parents in their wrongdoing. Parents smoke cigarettes, then typically their children will grow up and smoke cigarettes. I'm saying that's not the rule, but that or not the exception. That it's not the rule, but there are times when children they just do what they see. And so it's not uncommon to find children imitating even in their childhood. I can remember I'm gonna meander here for a moment, but I can remember when you could go to a store and buy candy cigarettes. Oh, that was the coolest thing that you'd ever seen, you know, just pretend like you're smoking cigarettes. They were putting something in children, like myself, to say this is okay, it's not going to hurt you, you can just live however you want to, and so it goes generationally over and over again. This becomes apparent when we study the life of Abraham and his extended family. Let's just take a moment and talk about Abraham. Abraham was a great man. However, he was not without his own faults. He was not without his own failures. And he was not without his own struggles. He was a man of great faith, the Bible says, but at times the Bible reveals to us that he even struggled with that faith in his life. He was a faithful man, and he was faithful in following God's command and leaving the country in which he dwelt to go unto a place that he did not have any idea where he was going. Great faith to leave everything that he knew and begin to walk in a direction until God was going to tell him where to stop, yet he still struggled with the faith that God would take care of him in that process. He struggled with the faith that God would protect him. Let me give you that example. Abraham feared that his wife Sarah would be taken by another man and that he would be killed. So Abraham lied about their relationship and said that she was his sister. He lied to save himself rather than place himself in the position to trust God to save him. And at that same time put his wife in a predicament herself. He did. He wanted to save his own hide, and instead of placing himself in the position to trust God, he put his family at jeopardy. But despite the lie, I'm thankful that God's grace intervened. I'm thankful that God's grace was extended to him, and him and Sarah were delivered. Following in his father's footsteps, Isaac lied about calling his wife, Rebecca, his sister, Rather than trust God, Isaac placed his family in a similar predicament. Like his father, he battled the same fear that God would not take care of him in the midst of his struggles. He, 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 he struggled with the same faith that God would take care of him through the process. And so he did the same thing that his father did, and he lied about his relationship with his wife. The exact same lie. The exact same thing passed from one generation to the next, and that impacted subsequent generations behind him. Abraham lied, Isaac lied, and Jacob lied. But Jacob, he didn't just tell a few lies. Jacob spent his entire existence lying. Jacob spent the majority of his life a habitual liar. And unfortunately, the 
pattern of lying didn't end with him. It continued even until the next generation when his sons told the most hurtful and deceptive lie about their brother Joseph. They told him that he had been devoured by animals when in reality they sold him to a band of traveling merchants. And so one generation passed to another generation a character flaw. Four generations of liars. However, lying was not the only disrupted pattern that we find in Abraham's extended family. In each generation, there was a mother who was overly invested in the life of a son. It began with Sarah, who was too involved with Isaac. And this can be seen in many, many instances, but the most glaring was her total rejection of Ishmael. I know that Ishmael was not a son of promise, but that wasn't his fault. He was just born into this. He didn't ask to be there, but she had more love for her other son than she did for him. In the next generation, Rebecca was overly involved with Jacob. There's no mention of her ever caring for Esau the way she carried and cared for Jacob. In fact, based on what we find in Scripture, it seems that she cared very little for Esau. And so we may take from this the conclusion that Rebecca was overly involved with one son that were twins. And so we just see this progression, this pattern over and over and over again. And unfortunately in the next generation, a little change when we find Rachel totally involved with Joseph. If this tells us anything, if this reveals anything to us today is that favoritism toward one child was the most dysfunctional patterns in Abraham's extended family. It wasn't just the mothers. It was Abraham. He, fought, he favored Isaac over Ishmael. Isaac favored Esau over Jacob. And in the next generation, things changed slightly, but with the same result as Jacob had two wives, one of which he clearly favored over the other. And both he and his preferred wife, Rachel, clearly favored their son Joseph over all the other children in the family. And so the consequences to these actions are expected. The consequences to these actions are, are, are almost handed to us. That favoritism causes jealousy and that same progression can, can just continue and continue and continue and continue yet again. You see, through all of this, this jealousy, this this. this underlying issue in this family this 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 character flaw inside of this family caused men to be sent away it caused it caused division it caused a dividing ishmael was sent away jacob was sent away for fear that esau would kill him and the next joseph was sent away by his brothers who at first intended to murder him themselves and so it's easy to see that in this Description, Abraham and Sarah, patriarch and matriarch of the family, both of which who are, are mentioned in Hebrews 11, the faith chapter, having great faith simply weren't perfect. They just weren't perfect. Their mistakes, they were far-reaching and they affected generations. Yet the Bible... 
The Bible is replete. The Bible repeatedly states the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Even though they were faulty, even though they had issues in their lives, the Bible over and over again reminds us the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. What does that say today? That tells me today that that is an incredible testimony of grace. A family that was far from perfect. A family that had issues underlying. A family that made poor decisions and suffered those consequences. A family who had all uh, all the issues that we have today is also a family that experienced God's overwhelming and abounding grace. <laughs> and so without grace... Their story would not end well. Without grace, their story would end in disgrace. And so for a moment, let's just consider something about Jacob. Jacob, he is the object of what we will speak of most of today. Jacob, the supplanter. His name meaning what he is. A cheating dishonest, lying person, a man without scruples, a man perhaps without morals. But think about this. God used that cheating, dishonest, lying person like Jacob to bring about the promise of a great nation. How is this possible? I'm telling you today that it is only possible through God's grace and God's grace Alone, The answer is found in the fact that despite all his mistakes, all of the cheating, all of the lying, all of the missteps that he took, despite his conniving ways, God chose to extend to him grace. But it was not, hear me, it was not because Jacob deserved it. Jacob had made a mess of his life and he deserved judgment. But aren't you thankful today that you stand in a place today that we deserve judgment? That God could just wipe us off the face of the earth and he, he wouldn't have to blink an eye about it and he would be right in doing so. But he gives us grace, grace, grace. So his scheming, his conniving ways got in the way of all of those healthy relationships and he made messes of every relationship that he found himself in, namely with the people in his family. Even while on his way to meet his brother, after many years of being estranged, he was still up to his old tricks. He feared that Esau would kill him. He feared that Esau would take his life. And so Jacob sent ahead an extravagant gift. Now, some may say that he was merely making amends for tricking Esau, but this is certainly not the case. That would not be an accurate statement. He was doing what Jacob was comfortable doing. Jacob was taking care of the things that he was comfortable taking care of. He was comfortable with manipulation. He was comfortable with deception. And so his goal was not to give anything to him, but it was to pacify Esau. In other words, his goal was to bribe him, to soften his heart, to take away his lack of interest in taking his life. It was not 
clearly to make amends, but it was only to get himself out of the situation. You see, his lack of interest in reconciliation can be seen in his refusal to even refer to Esau as brother. It was seen in his refusal to even travel with him. There is no mention of Jacob ever visiting the home of his brother, even though Esau invited him to. There is no mention of them ever spending quality time together. Instead, Jacob was content to maintain a distance. He was content to maintain that distance between him and his family, between him and his brother. Can I tell you today that we need to be with our family, we need to be with our, with our natural family, but more so we need to be with our spiritual family. God has given us a place to come to. We don't have time for contention. We don't have time to, to, to place ourselves at distance with our brothers and our sisters, but we need to link arms like it's never before and do the will of God and do the work of God. And so Jacob was intent to maintain that distance between him and his brother. But God did not leave Jacob in his mess. Instead, God chose to change him. Instead of Jacob the supplanter, God changed his name to Israel, a prince who has power with God. But Jacob didn't deserve anything that God had to give him. He did not earn one moment of his time. It was simply the grace of of God that was placed upon his life and it was placed upon his life for an ultimate purpose that God had for him, that God had in store for him. Hear me today, there everybody in this building, you have a purpose on your life and despite your mistakes, despite your downfalls, despite your missteps, God has a perfect destiny in store for you just like he did Jacob on that day and just like Jacob we can impact we can impact the next generation for the good we can do it by the grace of God and just like Jacob we stand here today unable to be unimpacted by generations before us decisions have consequences and some of those Decisions have been a negative impact on our lives. No one in this building, including myself, is perfect. No one. Those that came before us were not perfect, and we are not perfect. And unfortunately, those imperfections have the potential to affect those that we love the most. It's not intentional. We're not doing this on purpose, but our imperfections can negatively impact the next generation. It's commonly seen in families. Experts tell us that a person's family of origin is a powerful force in how a person is shaped and how they are molded to interact with the world around them. If families teach us anything, it is that no individual can stand unimpacted by the previous generation. Good or bad, we are a product of the previous generation. Good or bad. And so think about this. We stand at a pivotal point in time. We can't stand unimpacted by the previous generation 
Neither can the next generation stand unimpacted by our generation. Good or bad. Good or bad. We are impacting those that are coming behind us right now. The attitude that we've taken this morning in being in the house of God is impacting the next generation that is coming behind us and that is following us. In, In one way or another, each of us, Every single one of us will impact the generation that is coming behind us in one way or another. And so just just appease me for a minute. Let that soak in just for a second. Into the fabric of who you are. That every step you make and every decision that is made is not only affecting your own family, but it's affecting those around us. A tree cannot fall in the wilderness without affecting the other trees around it. As it falls, it may not take them all the way out, but they're going to lose some branches. They're going to feel the impact of the fall, and it's going to have a ripple effect on everything around it. But hear me today. I stand with great confidence and great faith that we do not stand in a position of hopelessness, but we stand in a position of absolute hope that in in the face of our shortcomings, in the face of our mistakes, in the face of our failures, there is hope and we can do something that will positively impact the generations that are coming behind us. Hear me today. Our flaws, our flaws does not mean that God will not be our God. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob all experienced missteps in their life, but I'll say it again. The Bible is replete with the statement, the God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and if he was their God, you can rest assured today and stand firmly, flat-footed, that if he was their God, he will be our God. He will be our God and he will see us through every step and every decision that we make as long as we place our hearts and our minds upon him. And hear me, not only will he be our God, but our flaws, our mistakes, our missteps does not mean that we cannot raise God-fearing children. We can raise up a generation. Yea, a generation is raising up that is going to see this end time all the way through. There's young people. I went to a conference this weekend, and you ought to have seen when when the man of God said, I want everybody, ministers, 20 years old and younger, to come and, and file across this front. It took a long time for all of those men and women to walk across that front and let the elders just lay their hands on them and pray for them. I'm telling you, there's a generation that is raising up that is going to be mindful of God who's going to do what the work of God calls them to do 
there is a generation rising up and here and now in this building we can start that we can we can put it in our children we can every day we can lay our hands on them and plead the blood of Jesus Christ over them that God would protect them and carry them through and they will be a generation that will impact this world he said I'll be the God of Abraham Isaac and Jacob and I will be your God and I will help you raise God fearing children we may not be perfect we may make mistakes we may we may stumble and we may go to our knees sometimes but hear me today we can raise children who love God we can raise children who want to work for God we can raise children who know to turn to God when they make their own mistakes and their own missteps Jacob despite his issues had an encounter Jacob despite all of his issues had a moment in his life with God that changed him forever and so likewise we can take comfort in knowing that our God is absolutely gracious to us and he will continue to work in us and he will continue to work on us and through us, changing us for the better. I'm thankful today that God doesn't walk away from you when you make those mistakes. I stand as an imperfect man who has made his share of missteps and mistakes but I am so thankful that God will not walk away from you and throw in the towel when you make that left, when you should have made that right. God will not quit on you when and if you fail, but instead, God extends his grace. See, God is a loving father. Aren't you thankful for the family? Our father who is in heaven can go to him. I can turn myself toward him when I stumble and when I fall. And he's a loving father who will not turn himself and not listen to me. But like a loving father, when that prodigal son returned and ran to him, he saw him afar off. And he ran to him and he took his head in his hands and he held him and he loved him because he wished to see him succeed. He wished to see the best in his life. And hear me today. God wants to see us victorious. God wants to see us rise to the occasion and do what he's calling us to do. He is our father. And when grace presents itself to us, when grace presents the opportunity to change, it will do it over and over again. But hear me. When grace presents itself, 
Grace is not some proverbial road that ends in nowhere. I said this Wednesday night, but God is not obligated to us. He's not obligated to extend grace to me. We're not living in a dispensation of grace so that we can just do whatever we want to do and live however we want to live and just hope that everything comes out okay on the other end. But God extends grace to us to provide us an opportunity to change. Hear me. When we come to that intersection, we must take his opportunity to change because we don't know when that intersection is going to come up again yes God will give us grace yes God will abound in grace but every opportunity I must take it I must grab a hold of it I have no business squandering the things that God presents to us because we must give ourselves to God because he gave himself to us we must allow him to make us and mold us into the people that he's called us to be. The simple fact of the matter is this. Just because we are living in a dispensation of grace, we cannot live without God in our daily lives. And we will not be able to make it even though we are in this dispensation, if we don't have him in our lives every single day. We are all on a journey. We're all at different stations on that journey, but we are supposed to arrive at a destination, and if we are going to get there, we cannot do it without him. And however negatively impacted that we may stand by a previous generation before us, possibly by grandparents, our parents, our great, great, great grandparents. We stand impacted by that. But whatever it may be, whatever we're carrying with us, we here today, before the day is out, we must break that cycle and we must get rid of it so that we can positively impact the next generation. We cannot afford to allow those negative patterns to be passed down yet again. We must do something about it. And if we are going to do it, if we have purpose in our mind to do it, there is only one way. The Bible says that Jacob wrestled with the angel. He wrestled with the angel. Jacob got to a point in his life where in which he became desperate. Jacob got to a place in his life wherein he became actively pursuant for God to change him. Jacob declared, 
I am not leaving this place and I am not going to let you go until something happens in my life. I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. I am not going to let you go until I leave this place forever. Change. He pursued God for change. He said, I cannot go on living like this. I have a family wherein the promises of God have been placed. And if they are going to be the Israelites, if they are going to be what God has called them to be, then I am going to have to start that change. After years of being the schemer, after years of being the conniver, after years of being the deceptor, after years of being the same man, God changed Jacob in that moment. He took him from a place where he was and he placed him in a new place. He changed his name. He changed his walk. He changed his talk. He changed him forever. And hear me today. We are in the place where the Bible says the spirit of the Lord is. There is liberty. And if we are here, then we need to take every opportunity for God to change us and mold us and make us you see we don't have to become a statistic we don't have to let the devil place us in a box and say your daddy did this and your granddaddy did this and so you're destined to live the same way and so are your children we don't have to stay in slavery. We don't have to stay in the same mindsets. But we can let God touch us. We can let God mold us. We can let God do something in our lives. And let me take it one step further. We can do it. But hear me. We must do it. We must do it. We cannot afford to stay the same. I cannot afford to think, well, I've arrived. I got my nice suit on. I got my nice tie on. I'm here. I know how to clap on time. I know how to say hallelujah when it's time to say hallelujah but I need a change from God I need him to mold my mind I need him to change the way I think I need him to touch my heart and I can't leave this place until he's done it in my life we must live as if God will come back at any moment yet we must plant seed in the next generation as if he won't We can't leave it all up to chance. We can't squander our opportunities and just let everything fall where it falls. Let the chips fall where they may. No, 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 no. I, I come against that in the name of Jesus. We've got to stand with our hearts fixed. We've got to stand with our minds fixed toward God and let him do something in our lives. We don't have the luxury of leaving it all up the chance but we need change and we must change and we must be what God has intended for us to be our lives depend on it our children's lives depend on it and hear me by the grace of God we can and will do it if our musicians will come I'm coming to a close Alexander the third was Tsar of Russia from 1881 to 1894. Many view his rule as being marked by, by repression, especially his persecution of the Jews. His wife, Maria Fedorova, however, was quite different. 
In contrast to her husband, she was known for her kindness, especially to those in need. On one occasion, her husband had signed an order consigning a prisoner to life in exile. It read, and I quote, pardon impossible, comma, to be sent to Siberia. But Maria saved the prisoner's life from impending doom by simply moving the comma. She altered the sentence to read, pardon, comma, impossible to be sent to Siberia. You see, the story of the misplaced comma has been around for a long time, and whether it's true or not is certainly debatable. But whether it's true or not, what is not debatable is the following. You and I had no hope. Comma. But grace made the difference. You and I had no hope of ever doing anything for God. Comma. But grace interceptive. And grace, hear me, in this moment is still making a difference. We've made enough mistakes and we've made enough missteps that our story would never have ended well. Because if it had not been for grace, our story and our lives would end in disgrace. But grace made a difference. You see, Jacob messed up every relationship that he entered into one after another. He messed up his relationship with his father. He messed up his relationship with his brother. He messed up his relationship with his father-in-law, his wife, and even his children. Jacob made a mess of his life, and Jacob made a mess of the relationships with the people that mattered most to him. But most of all, Jacob messed up his relationship with God. But but grace stepped in and Jacob's life and his future was forever altered and never the same. You see, Jacob was a hopeless case just like me and perhaps just like you. He was a supplanter. He was a deceiver, a conniver and a schemer. But God entered in and changed Jacob forever. And hear me today. God can change you in this moment because grace is still making a difference and grace is still in this place. Let's stand together. Let's lift our hands. Let's lift our voices. Let's lift our hands to heaven. Grace, grace makes a difference. The Bible says that Jacob said, I'm not going to let go until you change me. I'm not going to let go until you bless me. I'm not going to let go until you make a change in my life. And the Bible says that he touched the hollow of his thigh and it shrunk. And from that moment forward, Jacob had a new walk. 
Jacob had a new way about him. You could see Jacob coming from a mile away. Said something's happened to that man. Something's happened in his life that's changed the way he walks. It's changed the way he talks. It's changed the way he processes things. It's changed everything about him. And so I wonder today if we can lift our voices and thank God for what he's changed in our lives. Can we thank him for who he is and for what he's done? God can change us and we can be those that can say if it wasn't for the Lord who was on my side, I would be lost and dead. But because of him, I can live forevermore. Come on, lift your voice in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. 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 Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806, or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening, and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.